Amen. I love the part, high king of heaven. That is our treasure, our treasure. He is our victory. We're going to look at God's word and that high king of heaven this morning and be amazed of who he is and what he's done for us. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the very end of the book, uh, to the book of Revelation as we start our second week uh, through a journey through the first five chapters of the book of Revelation called The Triumph of the Lamb. Um, I've been in ministry a very long time, 27 or so my years, and this is the first time I've had the courage uh, to go through the book of Revelation. And wow, how come I not have started my first sermon ever with this? Because what God is doing in my heart, and what again, he's showing me the reality, the beauty of Jesus, and who he is and what he's done. And I just hope and pray that each one of you, God will show you the beauty of who God's Son is. Because everything will change if you see Him rightly. Katie and I have had the real joy of having our married daughter, Jessie, and her husband, Todd, and our unbelievably beautiful, wonderful granddaughter, Polly June, in our house uh, since Christmas. Uh, Todd is here, and he decided to study for his medical boards here uh, that he's going to be taking um, the first week in February. So we have the privilege of hanging out with them and loving on them. And because Todd is at Duke Med School, they have become huge Duke basketball fans. I mean, really, really big fans, like wear the jersey, know when the game is, you know, know the players. Some people are shaking their heads like, oh, no, no. But anyway, you know, when you're there, you got to jump in. So they have. So the other night, uh, Duke was uh, coming on, and I know they had a lot going on. So I said, hey, I got this greatest thing uh, through our TV. You can record the game. That way you can go back and you can watch it when it's convenient for you. You don't have to worry about your schedule. So let's just all sit down. It's going to be a 6 o'clock tip-off. So why don't you just sit down? We'll have dinner together and we'll record the game. And by the way, I'm recording something way more important than Duke basketball. I too am recording something, Tampa Bay Lightning hockey. And so I will be able to go and watch that at my convenience as well. So after dinner and got cleaned up and, you know, they went on their way. I went on my way and I'm, I'm in the back and I'm, I'm watching my beloved Tampa Bay Lightning play. And uh, it was great. I could fast forward through all the commercials, fast forward through the mission. It was fantastic. And as I'm there and as I'm watching, I kind of get an alert that Duke lost. Duke, I was upset. I mean, Clemson beat him. They shouldn't have beaten him. And it was bad. But my game was going good. My game was awesome, so it's more important. So I'm getting through that, and the game is about to go to overtime. And I'm sitting out there by myself thinking, I'm going to go grab my son-in-law, and I want him to join me because some of the most exciting things ever is overtime hockey. Take my word for it. So I went in. I went into the house. And now remember, their game's been over for a really long time, and uh, they've had plenty of time to watch it. So I, I walk in, and I walk into our family room, and there they are sitting in jerseys, like right in front of the uh, TV. And here's what I say. Hey, I know your team lost, so... And they look at me and say, really? Really? I mean, you tell us how to record it? And then you say, I know your team lost. So then I tried to lie. So I, I meant to say my team lost. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's not working. I'm like, okay, your, your team lost. And they're like, oh. And I just did one of these, like, oh, gosh. And I'm like, I cannot believe. 
you may not believe this, but my mouth gets me into trouble time and again. So <laughs> I, know, I just felt terrible, you know? And I, about 20 minutes later, after the Bolts won in overtime, I went back and I wanted to apologize to him again. And I went back and they had just started the second half, but they turned off the TV. The TV was off and they just, they had flipped open their laptops. They were on to different things. I'm like, what in the world? Why'd you stop watching? You see, once you know that they lost, they stopped. You know, if you know the ending, and the ending of something is that you lose, all is fruitless and vanity, is it not? So wherever you are in life, the beautiful thing about the gospel and what we're going to see in Jesus is this Lamb of God, the Lamb triumphs. He wins. He wins the story of history. He wins in the end. He is victorious. So here's the point. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, stay tuned. Don't turn it off. Don't get unplugged because our God wins. And because of that reality, we can endure. Endure bad stuff with patient endurance. Again, we're in the week two of the sermon series called The Triumph of the Lamb, journeying through these five first five chapters of Revelation. And what is Revelation all about? It reveals something, the name Revelation. It's the unveiling. But here's what it's unveiling. The book of Revelation is the unveiling, it says it in verse 1-1, of Jesus Christ. It's unveiling of who he is. It tells us about Jesus. But it does more than that. What also unveils about Jesus's message, what's about to happen, and specifically, what is Jesus's message to the seven churches in modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And that name seven is really important because it's not just a message to the seven churches. That number seven means completeness. It's really saying this is Jesus's, the risen king's message to the church. We're going to start going through those churches starting next week. And we're going to see how he, uh, uh, what he has done for us. So Jesus is being revealed to us as this triumphant lamb. And specifically, it's John, one of Jesus's closest friends. This is the apostle John, who was one of the big three. Anything that happened significantly during Jesus's life, he, John was there. And John had such an amazingly close relationship with Jesus that he's the one that would just be so near to him. He'd be like leaning up on Jesus. Maybe you've seen the picture, the painting. But more than that, you know what John refers himself to as? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, come on, John. I mean, wasn't that everybody? But think about who uh, the relationship that Jesus and John had when they walked together on earth. And now we're going to look at the book of Revelation, and John is going to see Jesus as the resurrected, risen Lamb of God. And it's going to cause an incredible stir. I mean, he's going to fall over as a dead man. You see, God is also going to commission John to write, to do something. But before he reveals what must soon take place, you got to understand who Jesus is. And here's the point. We can't understand our stories or God's story. We can't understand our story or God's story until we understand who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus will do. And this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this portrait this week. We're looking at the portrait of the risen lamb given to us out of Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. 
And this morning we're going to look to God's word and we're going to, we're going to look at four things. Now, when you think of this portrait, I, I put my whole outline around this. We're going to look a little bit at the frame. What is, well, how does this portrait framed? We're going to look at the portrait. What's the language used that's going to show us who this Christ is? We're going to talk about the impact. What's the impact of that Christ, that portrait? And then we're going to see the commission, uh, how God is going to commission John and us to act. So we're going to look at God's word. We're going to start where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 20. If you look at your bulletins, I say through 22, and I thought I added two verses of scripture. Then I realized there's only 20, so we'll stick right there. That wasn't very funny, was it? So anyway, um, hear the word of the Lord. This is a living, active word that God's spirit has given to John and given to us. It says this in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, who was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice. How do you see a voice? That was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sass around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, his eyes like flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that, that are, and those that are about to take place after this. As for the mysteries of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what an incredible portrait that you have given to us of the risen, resurrected Lamb of God. One of Jesus' closest earthly friends saw it and fell down as dead because it was alarming. It was majestic and powerful. And God, every one of us comes into this room with an image of who Jesus is. Maybe it's a baby in a manger. He was that. Uh, maybe it's an innocent one on the cross. He was that. Maybe it's a resurrected Savior that's walking on the earth. He did that. But God, He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the triumphal Lamb. And there is none like Him. And there will never be anyone like Him. And so, God, we ask that you would help us see the portrait 
of who you are and who your son is rightly. God, we need your help. (laughs) I need your help. Speak through a broken sinner like me. God, the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, more like this risen triumphal lamb. God, when the things I say that are wrong or marry my opinion, especially as we go through the book of Revelation, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But God, through this, would you receive glory? Would we receive insight and joy? We pray all this in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. Okay, the first thing I want to look at is the frame. And a frame, oftentimes, if you go to a museum, you go somewhere and you really want to study a portrait, the framing, as you know, is key that will help you pull in and help you understand. And a frame has, watch this, four sides. So there's a little bit of background that I want to give you four little sides to frame this beautiful portrait in. And the first part of the frame is this. It starts off in verse 9. John, your brother and partner in tribulation or suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ Jesus. The first part of that is John. John, this beloved apostle. How humble of John, who doesn't tell us his pedigree and how close he was to Jesus. He doesn't tell us that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He just calls us brothers. He's on the same playing field. And how encouraging it is that John's not exempt from the same junk that we have to deal with. He was a part of a partner in tribulation, partner in suffering. There's something about that that puts us together. It's very interesting here because the Greek that is going to describe this tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance is all linked together. And here's what it's saying. That if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you know what the kingdom of God promises? The kingdom of God promises tribulation and suffering. That's what it promises from the get-go. Let me read to you Acts 14.22. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. So it promises you're going to have tribulations. As a matter of fact, I love what Paul says uh, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, listen to this. This is is God's being open and clear. All of you who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, guess what? You'll be persecuted. I mean, the kingdom of God promises that there's going to be tribulation. But you know what it delivers? It delivers peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7, a peace that no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, our God is with us and our God conquers. And there's peace that comes from that reality. It's very interesting because this timing is is in juxtaposition from the Roman Empire. And what did the Roman Empire promise? It didn't promise tribulation. What the Roman Empire promised was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that all roads that will lead to Rome, there's a peace that they were supposed to bring, a worldwide peace because of an earthly uh, empire. But what did it deliver? Suffering and tribulation. Isn't it amazing that John says, hey, I'm a partner, I'm a brother with you, but I gotta show you this before we go on. You know it's way much, way better than John calling us brother? You know what's way better than John partnering with our suffering? Is Jesus himself. Do you know that Jesus calls us brother? Scripture is going to tell us. It's a beautiful thing. It's going to tell us in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. 
uh, verses 10 through 18. Write that down. Go back and look at it. It's going to say that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Why? Because he was made like us in every way. He was tempted like we are. He has experienced life like we have. And Jesus suffers. He suffers with us. And Jesus suffers for us. And he shows us that the cross is the way to victory and death is the way to life. So what's amazing about calling his brothers, amazing about partnerships, is John points to Jesus. Here's the point. God suffers as you suffer. And God knows what you're going through. And it's beautiful. He's not above it. He's right in the midst of it. Okay, the second part of the frame we see is on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus in verse 9. Patmos gets its name because it's a crescent-shaped, it's crescent-shaped rocky island in the Aegean Sea, which is absolutely beautiful. It's about 10 by 4 or so, or 8 by 5 miles. Uh, it's very rocky, and it was a Roman place of exile, apparently. Think of Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay is maybe what Patmos was like. And John was exiled on the account of the word of God. Maybe John's preaching the reality of John's life. Uh, now he's suffering persecution for that. So the third part of the frame we're going to see is this, that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day in verse 10. In the spirit here means he's probably in a trance, in a deep trance. He was in the zone. What I think is one of the most important things for us to know is this is not normative. John is not telling us what your life should experience. Unless you're on Patmos about to write God's word, this is something specific for him. But the spirit is inside of us as well, but it's different. This is this trance-like thing. And it's interesting, this phrase is going to be used three other times in 4.2, 17.3, and 21.10. Anytime God is going to reveal something really big, either in the throne room or what's to come or heaven, John goes into this trance. He's in the spirit. And then it says he's on the Lord's day. Some people want to say, well, this is the day of the Lord. It means judgment. No, this is the Lord's day. This is probably today. The day that was celebrated as the Lord's day was the resurrection of Christ. So it was a Sunday on Patmos where John is in the spirit. And by the way, this church would see the Lord's day as Saturday. Um, wouldn't wrestle with that too much, but really do believe we do that on Sunday. In reality, because of Jesus's resurrection, everything changes. So here's the last part of the, of the frame. He heard a voice like a trumpet saying, write. Write to the seven churches uh, in verse 10. This was a voice he heard. It had to be a familiar voice. If anybody knew the voice of Jesus, it was John. Yet there was something different about this voice. This is the resurrected Jesus. It was both tender and yet incredibly authoritative as a ruler. Well, that's the frame. Let's go to the portrait. The portrait of Jesus. There's something... As we, read through, as we read through this in Revelation, if you've been around the Bible, especially the Old Testament, this might have sound familiar. Have you ever seen a picture? You say, I've seen this before. Where is that again? Tell me about this. Or who is this again? I've seen this. There's a familiarity to this. Well, why? Because the description that John gets in Revelation 1 is almost identical to the description that God gave Daniel in Daniel 7 or Daniel 10. It's very close to the description that God gave Zechariah in Zechariah 4. And there's so many imageries and beautiful things in the Old Testament that you could see that he is the fulfillment of, of, of uh, all that was to come. 
remember, when it tells us this portrait, the portrait tells us who Jesus is, not literally what he looks like. He's, we don't look at this and say he literally has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. It's giving us a description. It's not showing us what he looks like. We've got to be careful there. But it says this in the portrait. There's seven golden lampstands. And then we'll find in verse 20 what these are. Seven churches in Asia Minor. And by the way, it's kind of cool if you leave Patmos and you head toward Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, you'll go into Ephesus first. And the seven churches are on a postal route around that area that they probably went in absolute sequence. So these letters are going in sequence uh, around them. And what are they? There's seven golden lampstands are, are these churches. But remember, it tells us that the risen lamb is in the midst of the lampstands. Here's what's important. Jesus is the light. The lampstands are to show the light to the world. That's who we are in Christ. He is the light. In us, we show the darkness uh, around. We show the light of Christ to the dark world around us. That's our job. Okay, so the portrait, you have the seven golden lampstands, that this one is in the midst of it. And who is he? He's one like a son of man. He's one like a son of man. He's fully God. He's, he's fully man. And what this is, it's beautiful. This is the fulfillment of Daniel 7 and the Ancient of Days that the Messiah would come who will have dominion. Here's what it says in Daniel. It's so beautiful. That this one will come, this Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, and he will have dominion over a kingdom with no end, and he will have people from all nations and languages. That's our Savior. This is the fulfillment of that. And as John looked at this one, he's like, man, there's something really familiar, and yet there's something brand new. This is the resurrected Jesus. Uh, by the way, I asked Katie one of, one of my typical stupid questions this week. As I gave her one of my nicknames, as I called to her one of my nicknames that I love of her, and I, I love giving people nicknames. I hardly ever call people by their name. Uh, you know I really like you if you have a nickname. But I said to her, I said, well, what, what is, what is my, your favorite nickname that I gave you? And she's like, I don't know. And I don't care, <laughs> you know, but, but, but she didn't say that. She was being very nice. But if there was a favorite nickname that Jesus gave himself, you know what it was? Not really nice, son of man. Do you know that that's the way he described himself 81 times in the New Testament? Amazing. Okay, more of the portrait. He's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. I love it when, when my son-in-law Todd went to med school or they have a ceremony where you get your white jacket. And you get your white jacket. And do you know that you can tell how long someone's been in the medical field by how long their jacket is? And the ones who have a short jacket, they're just the little students that are just learning something. So if you see somebody in the hospital with a short jacket, run like crazy. <laughs> they don't have a clue. And then they start telling you stories, what they allow these kids to do. I'm like, oh my goodness. But if you see someone with a longer jacket, you got some hope. And if you see somebody, look for the longest jacket. That's the one you want to talk to. So what is happening here saying that you have this long jacket is that Jesus has this long robe. Why? Because I'm telling you, he's the greatest of all physicians. There's no one who can heal you and minister to you like Jesus. But it's more than that. It's probably a portrait of a high priest. This is a high priest who's standing in the midst of his church. This is the one who's opened up heaven for us. In Revelation 1, we see that this ancient of day, this Jesus is called a king. He's ruler of kings. In verse 5, I believe, he is the prophet who speaks. 
The threefold office that are so important of a prophet, priest, and king, it's all here in chapter 1. Don't have time to unpack it, but it's all there. Okay, then we see the hairs of his head were white, like wool and like snow, probably meaning white is wisdom and dignity, holiness and purity, Christ's righteousness over our sins. I mean, the whiteness, I love white as snow. Scripture will tell us in, in Isaiah 1, verse 18, listen, you're a mess, and your life, it's, it's, it's a mess. Your, skin, your, your sins are like scarlet. Let's get together and reason together. In Christ Jesus, I'll make you white as snow. It's beautiful. That's who he is. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus' insight, judgment, and authority probably reflected there. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. Nowhere else is it described this way in Scripture. It's really saying this risen lamb has strength and stability, a solid, tested, and true foundation that you could build your life on. His voice was like the roar of many waters. A lot of the commentators say, of course, it probably sounded like rushing water. He's on an island called Patmos. He probably heard the rushing waters, but it's also awe-inspiring. In his right hand were seven stars that's later on described as angels, which could be messengers. And I'm telling you, this is, this is probably the area, this description that's most debated. Are these literal angels? Are these angels the messengers of the seven churches? Basically, are these the pastors of the seven churches? Some will say, is this the spirit of each church? What are these angels? Can I tell you what I think? I don't know. I really don't. I think I can be probably one of three things. I could go either way, but it's not important because they're in his right hand that's found favor and protection. From his mouth came a two-edged, sharp two-edged sword for power and judgment. It cuts both ways. You need to hear this. The gospel is both offensive and defensive. It will bring healing and it will separate and judgment. His face is shining like the sun, the bright glory of God. I love the fact because John was there. And like, for example, Matthew 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration, John was there when he saw God's glory revealed in Jesus. And Jesus was radiant. But this, this is not just a snapshot. This is the reality of who he is. And it was unbelievable. That's the portrait. So what's the impact? The impact, John falls at his feet, though dead. John, that used to rest on his shoulder so comfortably, now falls down, though dead. This is the Jesus that you and I need to see as well. And this is how we need to start our relationship with him. When you come to Jesus, you fall down like dead and you repent. And you say, I have nothing to bargain with except for the fact that you love us and you're gracious. And that's how we got to start. But then he, then he hears these words, the impact, fear not. I love the fact that John heard those words. John was in a boat, terrified. He's a fisherman, terrified in a boat because of a sea, a storm that was raging. And he'd hear, fear not, from Jesus. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He's terrified, thought it was a ghost. He'd hear, fear not. And here again, we hear the words, fear not. I'm going to look at three things of why not to fear. Fear not for who he is. Fear not for who he is. He says, I am the first and the last. John loved that I am statement. That I am would take us back to the book of Exodus when God revealed himself to Moses as the Yahweh, the great I am, the eternal one. But John would use the I am. I am the bread of life, he would say. I am the resurrection of life about Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. That I am phrase is so important to John because it really points to this beautiful triune God who is. 
But he says, I am the first and the last. He's basically saying, I'm the eternal one. I'm the Alpha and Omega. But there's more. He says, I'm the living one. I love that. Who conquered death and who cannot die. I'm the everlasting one. As Psalm 36, 9 will say, for in him is the, the fountain of life. Life comes from him. He can't die. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the creator of all things. John 1, 1 through 4 will remind us of that. I'm the point of all things. And I'm the ruler of everything between. So here's the point. Where are you in life? Jesus says, I'm the beginning of it all. Where are you in your life? I'm the end of it all. Where are you in your life? He says, I'm the point of it all. Where are you in life? He says, I'm a ruler over everything. I'm in control. I'm with you. This is who I am. Rejoice for who he is. Rejoice for where he is. You can't miss this. Rejoice for where he is. Where is he? He is in the midst of the lampstands. What are the lampstands? The church. He's in the midst of the church. He's with us. He says at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that Jesus is with us. He's Emmanuel. He's not only with us. Are you ready for this? Our God is for us. And I love the reality that when, when Saul was persecuting the church, and Jesus met him, the resurrected Christ met him on the road to Damascus. He asked Paul a question. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church, but you touch the church, you touch him. You touch you, you touch him. What a beautiful reality. And what does he hold? For who he is, for where he is, and what does he hold? He holds the keys of death, death in Hades. Hades here is the place of departed spirits, the grave, NIV will translate this. This is not Gehenna, the place of eternal torment. But it's basically saying this, Jesus has the power of death in his hands, and he has the power of judgment. Fear not for what he holds. Fear not, my brothers and sisters in Christ. For who is Jesus? He is this risen triumphal lamb. Our king rules and reigns. For where is Jesus? He's in our midst. For what Jesus holds, he holds the keys to our future and the world's future. And so after we know who he is, you get the commission. You can't go before you know. You can't do until you realize who he is. And now that you know the risen lamb, write. Write the things that you've seen. Write the things that you will see and take place. And here's the point. You can't understand uh, until you see. You can't understand your own circumstances, your life, until you see the risen lamb, Jesus rightly. You cannot understand your future until you see the risen lamb rightly. It's only when we see Christ for who he really is that anything else we could see for what it truly is. Did you get that? Until we see him for who he is, we can't make sense. Again, it's Psalm 36, 9. For in his light we see light. As we see him, we see the rest of the world and understand. We know the ending, the victory. Keep watching. Where are you in the story? Do you want to turn it off? Do you want to go away? Have hope. As we close, I want to close as we started in Psalm 46. Hearing that word of God, hear again this word of God. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. His voice, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, he is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted on earth. The Lord of hosts, he's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to come and meet the one who is in our midst, the one who's been victorious for us. May we see the risen lamb clearly. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the amazing portrait of your son. Thank you for the frame that you gave us to make us see him more clearly. I thank you for the impact it had on John and on everyone who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. And God, you, before you commission us to do anything, you want us to see you rightly. So show us again the depth of your love through the broken bread and the poured out wine. Come and join us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.